On Demand. Hear news from Israel whenever you want. And now we have a special report from our correspondent, Joel Carmel, who went to visit one of the most far-flung Jewish communities in the world, the Jewish community of Uganda. Ask most Israelis what comes to mind when you say the word Uganda, and they'll probably give you one of two answers. Either the place where Zionist leaders at the beginning of the 20th century briefly considered accepting from the British as a place to establish a Jewish state, or the place where the hijacked Air France plane was flown to in 1976 and its Israeli passengers were held hostage until a daring IDF rescue operation a week later secured their release. Either way, not many Israelis are aware of the present-day Jewish community of Uganda, known as the Abba Yudaya. I traveled to Uganda to meet members of the community and to see for myself where and how they live. If you're a religious or culturally involved Jew, what you just heard will probably sound entirely familiar and not in any way unusual. But the man leading the prayer is part of a community whose Judaism goes back only as far as 1919. That was the year when a local businessman and tribal leader, Semi Kakungulu, who owned large swathes of land near the modern-day city of Mbale in Uganda, decided that he and his people would become Jews. The British had recently arrived in the area, turning Uganda into a British protectorate in 1894. As part of their effort to supposedly civilize the locals, they sent Christian missionaries who distributed Bibles and taught the people about what was in it. According to the Abba Yudaya today, on reading the Bible, Kakungulu was interested only in the first part, the Old Testament, and took that to be true, and ignored the second part, the New Testament. The decision was probably made for political purposes. Others told me that male circumcision was already a widely practiced custom in their community, and when the British became aware of this, they pointed out that circumcision is the practice of the Jews. To this, Kakungulu responded, Then I am a Jew. I spoke to Rabbi Gershom Sisomo, the spiritual leader of the Jewish community in Uganda today. We sat behind his compound, which includes his house and two smaller outdoor structures, a kitchen and a toilet. The compound is on a hill overlooking a village that produces bricks made of dried mud. While children and goats from the village ran around a few feet away from us, Rabbi Gershom told me about what that early version of Ugandan Judaism had looked like. There was no rabbinic tradition. The community started purely on biblical tradition. Because there were no rabbis, there were no Jewish people in 1919 who, who came to teach Kakunguru about Judaism. So he informed himself from reading the Torah. And that is where he picked circumcision. He also picked uh, Shabbat. He picked all the Hagim as opposed to the Christian festivals. And ripped off the New Testament from the Christian Bible and maintained the Tanakh, having realized that uh, Jewish people do not believe in Jesus as a something, because Christians have a different way of believing in Jesus. They call him son of God, they call him God, or Messiah, whatever. 
So for him, all those could not cross his mind at that moment when he ripped off the bike. The other practices included the removal of shoes on entry into the synagogue because uh, reading from the burning bush, Moshe is instructed to remove his shoes because he's standing on a holy ground. And for them, the synagogue was a holy ground. They also practiced uh, Kurban Pesach, uh, having you know, access to Haggadah, and Seda, the Seda is a, a rabbinic oh. tradition. So Kurban Pesach is when you prepare a Paschal sacrifice on the eve of the 14th of Nisan, Ben Arbaim, and uh, that, is, that was their practice for uh, Erev Pesach. And then they would observe seven days of not eating habits and uh, actually eating matzah, which was self-made. I don't know how kosher it was because they didn't know the rule of 18 minutes. Being Jewish wasn't easy. The schools in the area were set up and run by Christian missionaries, and they branded the Jews Christ killers. Those who wished to send their children to these schools were required to convert to Christianity. Rabbi Gershom believes that the long-term effects of this discrimination are responsible for the Abba Yudaya's economic difficulties until today, as they are still reliant on subsistence farming. A major turning point in the community's development came when the Abba Yudaya became aware of the state of Israel's existence. 1962, I speak about it because this is when the embassy of Israel opened in Kampala. And uh, the embassy gave new life to our community. Why? Because the first secretary of the embassy, Dr. Ariel Oded, came to visit and found he came on Pesach, on Erev Pesach. And you, you can guess what he found. They were preparing Kuban the Kuban Pesach. And he was shocked because, you know, <laughs> he thought uh, this was a regular Jewish community. So he found biblical practice under play. And uh, uh, he was uh, uh, put on task to explain his shock. And he explained that after the destruction of the temple, Jewish people no longer make sacrifices. So he connected our community to the... Uh, uh, communities in Israel and the United Kingdom because we had some sidurim from the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom at that time. So the, the Orthodox sidurim, they came and we used them for a longer, long time. And we also received the Jewish calendars, Haggadot and other books about rabbinic Judaism. With the new connections made with the Jewish world, the Abba Yudaya were able to thrive. But their situation was made much more difficult under Idi Amin, the military dictator who seized power in the 1970s. After the success of the IDF's rescue mission at Entebbe Airport, Amin was enraged at his public humiliation on the world stage at the hands of the Jewish state, and in response he targeted the local Jewish community. Judaism was outlawed and draconian laws were imposed by agents of the state to deter the Abu Yudaya from practicing their Judaism. So Amin's fall from power in 1979 came to the remnants of the persecuted community as a huge relief. Salvation came in 1979, 11th day of April, 
and it was Erev Pesach. Amin was defeated by a combined force of Tanzanian army and Ugandan rebels. And immediately after Amin was defeated on Erev Pesach, the new government declared freedoms, including freedom of worship. And my first time to the synagogue, because I was born and grew up during a time when there was no Judaism, so the, uh, no Jewish practice. So my first experience was Pesach, when we, uh, we came to a communal center attended by less than 300 people. And uh, we were celebrating not only the departure from Egypt, every person who stood up to speak was about to Idi Amin, because it was a miracle that he was defeated at the time when Jewish people were celebrating freedom from slavery. We drank more than four cups of wine <laughs> as a sign of, uh, you know, uh, happiness and joy. And uh, the, four, the, the fifth or maybe sixth cup represented this particular redemption from the hands of a dictator and uh, a killer. The community entered a period of revival in the 1990s when globalization meant that travel became cheaper, communication became easier, and information more freely accessible. The Jewish world started taking more of an interest in the Ugandan community, and the connections that were formed gave them a major boost. It was at this time that Rabbi Gershom made contact with a conservative movement in the United States, where he was accepted on a full scholarship to the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies in California. This was also when the community underwent the official process of conversion to Judaism under the auspices of the conservative movement. This community the, the, uh, is basically conservative because the, the first bet din that came to convert everybody, which was not actually acceptable to us also because having been Jews since 1919, we thought that uh, it wasn't necessary for a bet din. And we didn't have any access to rabbinic Judaism, so we didn't know that is a requirement to have a court, a bet din, that would formally convert people to Judaism. So when we realized that the conservative rabbis from U.S. and Israel uh, came to do so, the Orthodox rabbis were still not convinced that there could be a Jewish community in Uganda. And so the first people to, act, uh, to, to accept us were the conservative rabbis. And that's why we are conservative. I also went to a conservative yeshiva in the U.S. and I became a Masulti rabbi. Uh, but I think that is political also. We feel that what we observe is not conservative. We feel we observe halakha. There's no conservative halakha, is it there? Maybe it's an interpretation, yes. But for us, we feel like Friday evening, every Jew lights candles and prepares for Shabbat. In the same way, we do the same. So for us, we feel that uh, the description of conservative reform and the orthodox is a political description, but religiously, we feel halakhic. Maybe we would be accused for empowering our women because we give them aliyot, they read services, they read from Torah. Maybe that one 
may not auger well with our Heredim, uh, uh, Heredim brothers and sisters in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox, may not take that as uh, something good. We are egalitarian. I asked Rabbi Andy Sachs, the director in Israel of the Organization of Conservative Rabbis, the Rabbinical Assembly, how this mass conversion process was carried out. He told me that although previously community members had been resistant to the idea of converting, because from their point of view they had been Jewish all their lives, by the time he arrived on the scene, they had fully accepted the fact that in order to gain recognition of their Jewish status from the rest of the world, they would need to undergo a conversion process. In 2002, I received a call from a colleague in the United States asking if I was available to sit on a Beitin in Uganda and also serve as a moyel to do hatafatam, symbolic circumcision, for the male members who had already been circumcised but were not yet Jewish. They had been circumcised because people in Uganda had been living as Jews without being Jews. And I went to Uganda on that trip and have been involved ever since. Accompanying me were several other uh, conservative Masorti rabbis. The Hatafatam actually was not a problem, not an issue. It was a little bit more difficult for me because there was no electricity, and so we were in a uh, mud hut with uh, very little light. Um, but it was also somewhat uh, interesting afterwards to see the pictures of 150 people lined up outside the hut waiting for their turn. Like Jewish communities around the world, this one is not free of its infighting. Out of the nine villages where Jewish life exists in Uganda, eight of them are conservative and one is orthodox, having undergone a conversion process through Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, the rabbi of the settlement of Efrat in Gush Etzion, and the head of the Altara Stone Institutions. But Rabbi Sachs insists that, apart from their non-egalitarian approach, there is no difference between the communities in terms of their halachic observance. I saw many of the houses, synagogues and Jewish schools decorated with Israeli flags and other symbols of the Abba Yudaya's close affinity with the state of Israel and the wider Jewish community. I wanted to hear more about what their Jewish identity means to members of the Abba Yudaya today. So I went to the conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem to meet Rabin Asimwe, who's currently studying there. I spent like five years at uh now we go to the main synagogue with uh, Rabbi Gershom, and uh, I actually it was really good studying with him and being like getting interest in becoming Jewish. And uh, yeah, I went through Bedin, did my um, bar mitzvah, and uh, after. I was interested in like knowing more, learning more, and uh, meeting different Jewish people, mm. not only in Uganda as the community, but uh, be in touch with other Jewish communities worldwide. And that's how I got uh, like opportunity to come in Israel for the first time in 2016, and uh, uh, like onward Israel Noam Olami for uh, leadership training. Yeah. 
And it was really a great opportunity for me to get more skills and then go back share with my fellow youths how we could do uh, do activities, Jewish activities, uh, and also developing our leadership skills as well since uh, we, we are the leaders of today, we cannot say tomorrow because <laughs> mostly no one knows about tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> but we are the leaders of today and, and the future is now. If we want to prepare for the future, it's now. <laughs> The recording you're hearing now is from the moment when 40 young Ugandan participants arrived at Ben Gurion Airport for the first ever birthright trip for Ugandan Jews. Rabin was one of the leaders of the group. The trip raised questions of the State of Israel's stance on the Abayudaya's Jewish status. By coming on a birthright trip, the Jewish agency was effectively de facto recognizing them as Jews. But another member of the community, Yosef Kibita, applied last summer to make Aliyah and was rejected on the basis of his conversion not being recognized. His case is now being considered by the High Court. Rabbi Sachs has been involved in the legal battle. Yosef Kabita is, has been an active member of the uh, Abu Yudaya, and he decided that he would like to make Aliyah. Uh, he applied for Aliyah and was given a big runaround by the uh, people in the uh, Sochnut, the Jewish agency, and the interior ministry as well. Uh, he came here and he was accepted to Kibbutz uh, Keturah uh, while he was his application was pending. He then received a negative answer indicating that the community in Uganda, the Abu Yudaya community, are not recognized by the Jewish agency or by the Interior Ministry. Later on, the Jewish agency modified their position to say they would accept conversions after 2009. Uh, Yosef was converted before then. In any event, uh, the his case is now pending, and there is a hearing date scheduled for April in the Israeli High Court, the Supreme Court. I think that there's a combination here of politics and race. With regard to the legal case on his behalf, we are not pursuing the race avenue, even though there is virtually no doubt in my mind that race is an issue. Indeed, when there was a discussion surrounding the Abu Yudaya in the Aliyah Committee of the Knesset, Amos Arbel from the Population Registry of the Interior Ministry said, uh, in Hebrew, do you really think these people are Jews? We let him in, and the next thing you know, half of Africa will be at our doorstep. So race is certainly a factor, um, but the, uh, the the criteria written and prepared by the Interior Ministry and the Justice Department say that a recognized community is one that has an infrastructure and is recognized by one of the major denominations and or the Jewish agency. And we certainly recognize that community. The lawyers have now been informed that the hearing is scheduled for this May. Meanwhile, in Uganda, community members are preparing to celebrate their centenary later this year, marking 100 years since Semeka Kongulu's landmark decision to become Jewish. When I asked Rabin what message he had to listeners of this program, 
he didn't hesitate before issuing an invitation. Since we are celebrating a hundred years anniversary, I would wish to invite everyone who would uh, feel to see our idea and uh, uh, to see all for how long we have been practicing Judaism. People have understood us just for a few years recently, but we have been existing since 1919. So uh, until now, 2019, uh, in June 23rd to 30th, will be our 100th anniversary. You are most welcome. Uh, come and enjoy the best of our diet. Uh, songs, uh, environment, and friendly people, and all kind of being Jewish, uh, how you get happy and excited. So I welcome everyone, no matter the denominations. We are all Jewish. I'm Israel Chai. <laughs> Carmel, Khan English News.